Last class, we were studying that portion of the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna where we find Mahindranath, the author of the Gospel, met Sri Ramakrishna for the second time. And we found that, that Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that, that the longing is the rosy dawn. After the dawn, out comes the sun. Longing is followed by the vision of God. So he gave prior importance to that longing. And that's what he, that's what, how intense that longing should be to indicate that the next sentences which he spoke, God reveals himself to a devotee who feels drawn to him by the combined force of these three attractions. The attraction of worldly possessions for the worldly man, the child's attraction for its mother and the husband's attraction for the chest wife. If one feels drawn to him by the combined force of these three attractions, then through it one can attain him. The point is to love God even as the mother loves a child, the chest wife her husband and the worldly man his wealth add together these three forces of love, these three powers of attraction and give it all to God, then you will certainly see him. It is necessary to pray to him with a longing heart. The kitten knows only how to call its mother crying mew mew. It remains satisfied wherever its mother puts it. And the mother cat puts the kitten sometimes in the kitchen, sometimes on the floor and sometimes on the bed. When it suffers, it cries only mew mew. That's all it knows. But as soon as the mother hears this cry, wherever she may be, she comes to the kitten. So that's the portion which we were studying in the last class. And we indicated that, that longing, how that longing comes, for which Sri Ramakrishna has already indicated at the beginning of this session, this meeting, the second meeting of Mahindranath with Sri Ramakrishna that started with that discussion. That what are the preliminaries? Repeating the name of God, Holy Company, and Nirjanavasa. That's to be in seclusion whenever it's possible. So these are the things 
which is bound to increase your longing in due course. That as we go on taking the name of the Lord, most probably at the beginning, it's sheer, it's sheer willpower. Most probably I have no liking for it. I has made it a point that at certain point of time in the day, in the morning, in the evening, I will take the name of the Lord. I will sit for fixed hours. And even if I find the mind is getting distracted, I will try to keep it focused and do my practice. Know it for certain that as we were saying, that as we go on practicing, your, a groove will be formed in your mind. And once it is formed, a deep sanskara is formed and you will develop a liking for it. And that's how the liking grows. As the more we traverse the same path again and again, the more intense, the more deep will be the groove in our mind. The more deep will be the neural pathways in our mind. And the more intense will be the longing. And that longing can be even more than any of the so-called worldly longings. And that's why Sri Ramakrishna, to give an idea that how intense that longing is, he is taking the example of three most intense longing which we know in the worldly sense. And he's saying, add them together. The cumulative effect of those three longing is something which you can imagine as the longing which you should have to realize. And spirituality no more remains just a make-believe. It becomes a matter of realization. That's why he has mentioned that longing is like the rosy dawn. As in the dawn, when you see the red hue in the sky, the sun is yet to be visible. You know, it's just a matter of few minutes, few moments. The sun will be visible. The red hue is the indication of the sun to be just rising from the horizon. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. Know it for certain that it is just like the rosy dawn. The sun is just to arrive. You are just is going to come out of the horizon. So longing, longing is bound to be followed by the vision of God. So that's where we ended our discussion. And of course, that longing, along with that, the sharanagati, that's the idea. Both these together should go hand in hand. Go on calling, and at the same time, you totally resign to the divine. That the here the Sri Ramakrishna ends the discussion with the two nyayas, which has been indicated in our scriptures, in our sadhana. Sometimes we behave like a young monkey, the infant monkey. The infant monkey holds on to its mother, clings to its mother. But if you are clinging to your mother, if a young one is clinging to your mother, to their mother, and the mother jumps from the tree to the another tree, there's a chance the baby may lose hold and it may fall. But for the cat, the kitten, it's just the opposite. It just cries. Whenever it suffers, it cries. It's the entire responsibility of the mother to take hold of the child. By its neck, it will hold the child and place it wherever she feels is safe. And that way, she can avert any such danger, pitfalls in her life. Then the same thing has been related in, it has to be related with our spiritual life. The full resignation should be there. 
that we shouldn't try to cling by thinking that I have called on the Lord for so many times that now as if Lord is my slave, I have called him thousand times or 10,000 times. So he should come and give me vision. It speaks of expectation. That expectation should go. That I have renounced the world. So I have as such, I need something to keep my mind engaged. And that's why with my, I'm calling on the Lord with longing heart. But at the same time, I know it's his wish. When that realization happens, it's his wish. So that sense of resignation should be there. So these are the two things which Sri Ramakrishna indicated. So now we will go to the third meeting. It was Saturday afternoon when M came on his third visit to the master. He had been profoundly impressed by his first two visits to this wonderful man. He had been thinking of the master constantly and of the utterly simple way he explained the deep truths of spiritual life. Never before had he met such a man. Sri Ramakrishna was sitting on the small couch. The room was filled with devotees who had taken advantage of the holiday to come to see the master. M had not yet become acquainted with any of them. So he took his seat in a corner. The master smiled as he talked with the devotees. So here we find it's mentioned Sri Ramakrishna was sitting on the small couch. Many of you must probably have visited Dakshineshwar. So they have still maintained the room with the furnitures as it is. The small couch is still there by the side of the couch in which he used to sleep. The bed, just by the side of the bed, the next to the bed, there's a small couch. When he used to meet the devotees, he used to sit there. The bed was meant for sleeping and this just by the side of it, the small couch is there where he used to sit and meet the devotees. The devotees used to sit on the carpeted floor, on the floor, uh, on the carpet on the floor. So that's what the arrangement was. So sitting on his small couch, he used to address the devotees. So he addressed his words particularly to a young man of 19 named Narendranath. So in the third visit, we find Aim is meeting Narendranath. Narendranath also came to the future. Vivekananda came to meet Ramakrishna. So Ramakrishna is talking to Narendranath. He was just 19 years old. He was a college student, young Narendranath. So Narendranath uh, subsequently world famous as Swami Vivekananda who was a college student and frequented the Sadharan Brahmo Samaj. His eyes were bright, his words were full of spirit, and he had the look of a lover of God. M guessed that the conversation was about worldly men who looked down on those who aspire to spiritual things. The master was talking about the great number of such people in the world and about how to deal with them. So it's a pertinent question. Even we feel, uh, if you have read Abraham Maslow, a famous uh, psychologist, many of his books are very famous. So he had the idea of pyramid of needs that in this world you will find, like, like in, in a pyramid, the base is broad, 
as you go upwards, it tapers. So it was his, uh, what you say, uh, way of explaining that how our needs are <clears throat> sequenced. There's a hierarchy of needs. What's that? Just like the base of the pyramid, the most of the people in the world you will find as a huge votaries who are just busy with the sensual, sensitive pleasures of life. They never think of anything sublime. But as you go up the pyramid, the, you will find it is stappering. Then there are people who most probably are intellectually inclined, politically inclined with some idealism. But at the very top, those who have their spiritual inclinations, they're very few. And naturally, they are always the minority. And it's obvious the minority has to suffer in some way or other for being the one who are almost alone, are secluded from the rest. And that's not only uh, in the time of Ramakrishna, even in the present days, and it's the truth in any time. So it's a part of the spiritual journey. The more you tend to be spiritual, the more you are alone. It is a journey of the alone to the alone. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. And so in the spiritual journey, it would have been quite nice that I'm alone. That doesn't matter. Let you be happy with your world. Let me be happy with my spiritual life. Let us have our freedom. I won't interfere you by saying that this is the way of life. You leave your worldly way and come and this, lead this type of life. I'm not going to say. And you also neither disturb me by saying that this worldly way of life is the only life. And so you try to pull me there. Let both have their own space. Though I may be a minority, those, those religious people may be a minority. Let them have their space. In this world, we find everyone, the government assures that even because of your genetical inclinations, you have your own freedom. There are so many groups. Why not the one who is religiously inclined should have his freedom? But that's never going to be. How somehow you find the religiously inclined persons are in a way, if not looked down, at least people are indifferent. If it is indifferent is good. But when they're looking down and not only looking down, when they start censoring, they start interfering with your life, then it may become an unnecessary problem for one who is traversing in the spiritual path. It's mainly found those who are in the household. Among all, a few may be spiritually inclined and we find that all the members get concerned as if he is, uh, what do you say, that have some mental aberration. The spiritual inclination is taken as mental aberration. If a small child has some spiritual inclination, we find there are instances, the father, the mother, who also have a little spiritual inclination, but they think too much spiritual inclination is not good and will try to change the way the child behaves, the child thinks. Very interesting. When we joined the Ramakrishna order, very interesting thing. The, our Swami indicated, see, the mothers who come, it is the they who sustain our ashram. It is mainly they. As Swami Vivekananda, when he was in the West, someone asked, 
who sustain you? And Swamiji jokingly replied, it's the same as in your country, those who sustain the church. You will find it is the women folk, those who are very devoted. It is they who are the main votaries. And not only that, it is they who drag the male members of the family also. It is they who take the initiative. As Swamiji indicated, even in our countries, it's the same. It is the mothers who really sustain. As if uh, that way God is taking care of us, just the way uh, the mother takes care of the child, the, those who are have left the world, and as such, there is no way of sustenance for them. For them also the motherly love is poured out. That's the grace of the divine. But very interesting. The one who is that way spiritually inclined, if their own child thinks of becoming a monk, then you will find it's never, no way acceptable. So it, it, in most of the cases that happen, what, what we indicate? That spiritual life to a certain extent, when you have attained uh, things of distractions, you have that Swamiji says that as for most of us, religion is a luxury. It's not something essential. That I have many as various luxurious goods in my house. I have the habit of collecting antiques. Among various antiques, there is also a feng shui. So among many, that feng shui is also there. So among my many so-called fads, religion is also a fad. That much. It's just like a hobby. As long as it is uh, just like a hobby, it's not going to disturb, it's not going to change the mainstream of your life. It is acceptable. But whenever they, you find, even at household, if anyone is getting more spiritually inclined, of course he has to face, she has to face. We also, we are being a monk, we know how much opposition we have to go through. So that's the thing which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. That how do you feel about it, Master to Narendra? Worldly people say all kinds of things about the spiritually minded. But look here, when an elephant moves along the street, any number of curs, curs means the dogs, and other small animals may bark and cry after it, but the elephant doesn't even look back at them. If people speak ill of you, what will you think of them? Sri Ramakrishna is asking young Naren. Narendra, the young boy with full zest, the reply was, I shall think that dogs are barking at me. Immediately the master smiling, oh no, you mustn't go that far, my child, and laughter. So very, just see that simple words actually carries profound meaning that we will come to the discussion. Ramakrishna himself is saying that when, in this, it's actually a Hindi proverb, jab hati chale bazaar mein kutta bhoke hazar. Sadhu ka durbhav nahi, that second sentence is very important. Sadhu ka durbhav nahi jab ninde sangsar. So Sri Ramakrishna only told the first part. From that we may find that the elephant just considers the, these dogs as nothing and considers them insignificant and almost there's a type of hatred for them. He doesn't care and just think them to be rubbish. But that's not the idea. If you go to the second part of that uh, proverb, that's very important. Sadhu ka durbhav nahi. The sadhu, the one who is religiously inclined, the monk who has left his hearth and home for spiritual life, when the entire world is censoring him, entire world is making fun of him, 
the sadhu has no durbhav means he never curses the society it's always blessing so that way he has transcended all the so called abuses in the various form he has to meet day in day to day life as buddha used to say very interestingly when someone came and told buddha buddha you must probably don't know that so much people censor you so much they speak ill of you and buddha very nice reply he gave he told suppose i give you something as a gift i give you something and you don't accept it to whom that gift belongs the person will obviously it's yours if you give me if i don't accept it remains yours only and buddha told that what they all say i don't accept so still the person didn't understand so he told but this they really say speak so much ill of you and then buddha to specify still more told a very interesting thing to look up in the sky and spit so <laughs> that's was the buddha's reply if you look at the sky and spit what will happen the spit will speed will fall back on you so be the sky so what a wonderful way the same thing ramakrishna is saying it's not hatred be bigger than the circumstances be indifferent so when narend says that i shall think them as dogs as if a type of hatred is there towards them dogs are barking at me i just don't care about them no don't have ill feeling for them but at the what's then what's the thing which is required is to be indifferent not hatred but indifference why because hatred is a negative attraction in this life you will find the opposite of love is not hatred opposite of love is indifference opposite of love if you say hatred because hatred is also a type of attraction just like love the one whom you hate you will find you think of him more intensely than the one whom you love throughout the day though in a negative way you think of him hatred is a very very strong uh, imp- what is it this attraction in a negative way and how it really hampers our spiritual journey because the when i am thinking of some person in a negative way it is nothing happening to that person but i am culturing the negativity it affects my physical health it affects my mental health constantly i am culturing the same the things which i censor on the other person that's the things that's the trait on which i am meditating and what you think that you become you will find those who censor too much those who are finding faults with others too much you will find they themselves have the same fault because constantly they are culturing that and that's the thing they see where swami vivekananda used to say a very interesting thing that when you see fault in others repent that you still see fault in others why why you have to repent because that evil is in you that's why you can see to give and he is a common example he used to give he used to say that suppose a lump of gold is lying in a corner of a table and a child is crawling nearby some unknown person comes takes the lump of gold and runs away the child knows nothing he just goes on crawling and playing as the thief is not inside the child he never understands that the thing has been stolen it's only that idea has to be within me 
I have to know that such and such and such thing when taken, uh, someone else's position is taken that is called theft. That idea is not there. So it doesn't know. It's just uh, playing and crawling as it is without any reaction. As the thief is not within, it doesn't know. Sri Ramakrishna, uh, Swami Vivekananda will find, has said some of the very wonderful things. He said that the general trend of the world is to find fault with others. It's very natural, very obvious. It's very difficult to see the good traits in others. We easily see the fault in others. And the reason he's giving is very interesting. You know why we easily see the fault in others, not the good thing? Because all the weaknesses in this world are by default is common to the entire humanity. Easily see it. But the, but the goodness that I have cultured, that is uniqueness of me, that's not common to all. That's not visible. So what's common is the weakness. All the weakness which I see, know it for certain, that is within you. That's why you are slandering. And that's the thing which happens in the world. So when the moment you are in the spiritual journey, the holier-than-thou attitude is the biggest deterrent factor. The moment you start thinking, oh, I am pure, all others are impure. And actually, I am culturing the impurity by constantly looking at the impurity of others. So that shouldn't be the attitude. I, that what you are thinking, that's what you are. The Sri Ramakrishna's so many stories will come in the gospel is there that a holy person uh, always used to sit under the shade of a tree. And nearby there was a ill-reputed woman. And throughout the day, so many, uh, the men used to, the customers used to come. And this man, what he will do, this holy man, so-called holy man, that as a person crosses by, passes by him, he will keep a stone, some lot of stones he kept nearby, he will keep a stone aside. And that way, at the end of the day, when he, shall, he will see that woman, he will just go on saying, just see what's going, your, what's your fate? This much of sin you have done, this the number of stones that you will pointing out and saying. And that woman was somehow that, you know, that the circumstances has made her to be in that type of life. But inwardly, she had a tremendous repentance. Every day she used to cry to the Lord and pray, Oh Lord, please save me. And Ramakrishna is saying, you know, when both of them died, it is this holy person who went to the Yamaloka, to the hell as if, and Vishnu Loka, to the heaven, this lady was taken. Where your mind is, that's, that's your real, uh, what you say, that's your real identity. <clears throat> so as a spiritual person, we have to be very cautious. That's why in Yoga Sutra, we studied a Sutra. It Even in Buddhism, this is called Brahma Vihara. That spiritual life, meditation comes much later. First, you have to have a foundation to make that meditative life really effective. What's the foundation? That in the day-to-day -day life, when you're meeting with the people, with what attitude you're meeting them, that's the thing we should be very cautious about. And what's that sutra? It is the 33rd sutra of the first chapter of yoga, of Patanjali yoga. What's that? 
मैत्री करुणा मुदित उपेक्षाना सुख दुख पुण्य अपुण्य विषयाना भावयानाथ चित्त प्रसादनम सो फॉर मेडिटेशन माई आई हैव टू कीप माई माइंड प्लेसिड एंड ट्रैंक्विल फॉर दैट देर इज ए नीड फॉर थ्रू आउट द डेज प्रिपरेशन बट हाउ टू प्रिपेयर वेन आई एम मीटिंग विद द वर्ल्ड जस्ट फोर टाइप्स ऑफ एटीट्यूड यू हैव टू प्रैक्टिस वॉट आर द फोर टाइप्स ऑफ एटीट्यूड वेन एवर यू सी एनी वन इज हैप्पी ऑलवेज रिलेट थ्रू फ्रेंडशिप you say we do that no we do for our kith and kin if our neighbor with whom i am not related i feel find that he is happy sometimes i feel jealous i curse in my mind oh that this happiness oh just you are very happy just see what happens within few days the things will change and all those things we do out of jealousy so he is saying that immediately be cautious that's polluting your mind for maitri there's for all sukha wherever you see happiness relate through friendship wherever you see dukha through karuna don't say tit for tat you deserve it be compassionate wherever you see holiness mudita don't say if it is the one who to uh, the organization to which you belong i know we all know we have lot of devotion there but whenever we find some other faith some other religious organization and there are some genuine holy person but the by default suddenly the reaction will be oh they are all humbugs they are all f- just making a show of religion so that's why i am polluting my mind i don't know so wherever you see holiness just simply bow down respect so that way you are culturing you are culturing positivities instead of the negativity even if i don't know a person his nature if you bow down just thinking oh he's a holy man he's a sadhu just seeing the external attire you bow down actually you're not bowing down to that person what you are you're doing in your mind that is just an external suggestion in your mind immediately the thought of renunciation the thought of the all the divine sublime qualities that comes to your mind that dress that attire is just a spark plug these are the things you immediately comes to your mind when you are bowing down you are actually respecting those thoughts you are culturing those thoughts so mudita for punya and for apunya that's the thing here when ramakrishna is saying don't go that far that is the thing indicated upeksha not hatred not ghrina for apunya whenever you see some people who are not leading a very spiritual life very worldly life don't hate them be indifferent as if you have not seen let them live their life so if they speak ill of you that way pray for them oh god just make them uh, so what you say that think in such a way behave in such that make their life holy let them also understand the uh, utility of this type of life you can pray for them and then try to be apart don't try to interact with them through hatred so that's why he's saying when narin says that i shall think that dogs are barking at me immediately master says, oh no you mustn't go that far my child god dwells in all beings but you may be intimate only with good people you must keep away from the evil minded 
God is even in the tiger. See, very interesting. Even in the tiger, God is. But you cannot embrace the tiger on that account. Laughter. So we'll be laughing. So uh, God in in tiger also God is. I ha- I have that sense, but I have to show respect from distance. I cannot go and embrace the tiger. You may say, why run away from a tiger, which is also a manifestation of God? The answer to that is, those who tell you run away are also manifestations of God. And why shouldn't you listen to them? So this actually speaks a lot. After that, Ramakrishna will speak a story. He will just relate a parable. Ramakrishna was a master of parables, so many parables. That's, that's how the incarnations speak. Even in the, if you go to the Bible, the Jesus always speaks through parables. Ramakrishna in the gospel, you will find speaking through parables. Lots of parables. The highest profound truth in simple way. So the parable which he will be speaking, uh, he will be relating, we will read. But we will find it's a profound parable. Why? Much later, when Swami Vivekananda returned from the West, one day he just commented, that Ramakrishna's words have even transcended the Vedas. And some other devotee then told that Ramakrishna's words are so simple. Everyone can understand how you find such depth in the, his, his words. And this is the parable which Swami Vivekananda took for his discussion. And they said for hours together. Actually, not hours, for three days, whenever he got time, he was discussing on this parable to explain the balance between Purushakara and Kripa. That in spiritual life, you have to have self-effort, but that is not all. It has to, the spare self-effort has to get, uh, what you say, the, has to be synchronized with the grace of the divine. Unless the grace factor is there with all your effort, you can achieve nothing. And it it becomes very difficult. We never know what the discussion was. But this is the story which is indicated that Swami Vivekananda chose on which to discuss the synthesis of uh, Purushakara and Kripa. We will come to it. We will try our best to understand that how Purushakara and Kripa can be synthesized uh, through this parable, as that's what Sri Ramakrishna indicates. First, let us go to the entire parable story and then we will come back to the discussion. Let me tell you a story. In a forest, there lived a holy man who had many disciples. One day he taught them to see God in all beings and knowing this, to bow low before them. A disciple went to the forest to gather wood for the sacrificial fire. Suddenly he heard an outcry. Get out of the way. A mad elephant is coming. All but the disciple of the holy man took to their hills. He reasoned that the elephant was also God in another form. Then why should he run away from it? He stood still bowed before the animal and began to sing its praises. The mahut of the elephant was shouting, run away, run away. But the disciple didn't move. The animal seized him with its trunk, 
cast him to one side and went on its way. Hurt and bruised, the disciple lay unconscious on the ground. Hearing what had happened, his teacher and his brother disciples came to him and carried him to the hermitage. With the help of some medicine, he soon regained consciousness. Someone asked him, you knew the elephant was coming. Why didn't you leave the place? But he said, our teacher has told us that God himself has taken all these forms of animals as well as men. Therefore, thinking it was only the elephant God that was coming, I didn't run away. At this, the teacher said, yes, my child, it is true that the elephant God was coming, but the Mahud God forbid you to stay there. Since all are manifestations of God, why don't you trust the Mahut's words? You should have heeded the words of the Mahut God. There's a laughter among the disciples, laughter. It is said in the scriptures that water is a form of God. So we come to that portion later. So this is the story. Elephant and Mahut. So what it speaks of. Yes. In our scripture speaks of Brahman, who is beyond all dualities, and that's our real nature. But how are we here in this phenomenal existence? As per the scripture, what the Brahman somehow, because of ignorance, got identified with the psychophysical existence, just like the sun falling on the wave. In the oceans, there are a lot of waves and each wave has the reflection of the sun. So we, the individual wings are like that wave with the reflection of the sun, but we take the reflection to be real and get identified with the psychophysical existence. That's the ignorance. In essence, we are all beyond the dualities. But when, because of ignorance, we are this as the individual self, uh, identified with this body-mind complex. Then what happens from this identification? We have studied in the yoga. The ego comes, from the ego comes the three things. Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Raga is attachment, Dvesha, hatred, Abhinivesha, fear of death, clinging to life. We can understand even a single uh, micro, uh, microorganism, a bacteria in a petri dish, to find out whether there is a living organism or not. Among many randomly moving particles, the bacteria are also there. It is almost impossible to find out among them which is animate and which is inanimate. They're all randomly moving particles. To find out what you do, you put a drop of nutrient in the center of the petri dish and now look through the microscope. You will find that among all those randomly moving particles, if you have gathered direction, they're moving. Raga. Moving. Why they're moving? The Brahman has got identified with that microbe body and the moment it gets identified, it thinks, I am the microbe. And now to sustain it, the nutrient is required. Anything that sustains that individual body, it gets drawn towards it. Now in place of that nutrient, if I put some toxic toxin there, just the opposite, they will move away. That speaks of Dvesha, that speaks of Avinivesha, clinging to life and hating something which is the cause of my degeneration, disintegration. 
So in this life, good and bad, when you transcend the individual, our identity, there's nothing called good and bad. What actually is good and what actually is bad? Anything that harms my psychophysical identity is evil. At last you will find that's the thing. Anything that is favorable to it is good. So that's why we find that when in Vedanta we say God is neither good nor bad, his transcends both many don't understand. Many will be saying, how can that? God is all good. No. The ultimate Brahman is beyond good and bad. The question of good and bad comes as an individual. Anything after that clinging, anything that sustains this is favorable to this. They're all good. That's the only judgment of good. And what is evil? That which they are not, that is not going to sustain that, that is going to disintegrate that as a cling to this life. So good and bad comes from Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. And as long as I am identified with this body, this good and bad is going to affect me. Even if I say that the world is an expression of Brahman, it becomes just a lip service. It is Ativada. I don't know what, I don't realize what I am saying. It is just a mere words which I have listened from my guru and I am repeating. But at the same time, I am yet to transcend my ego. And unless I transcend that, this good and bad is going to affect me. And as long as this good and bad is going to I affect me, the importance of Mahut is also there. Now, very interesting. In our uh, this uh, in spiritual in the, the word dharma, it, it, it's really this small story has a lot of layers of understanding. The word dharma in our scriptures has been defined in two ways. One is dharayateti dharma. This is the common definition which we all know. That which helps us, holds us, integrates us is dharma. That we understand. Just say, take a, a, a person who is a temple going person. The so-called civilized world may say, what's nonsense? Going to the shrine, rest, rest, muttering some mantras, showing incense, all useless things they do. Let me just take into consideration they are all useless things. But one thing you will find that person is integrated. He doesn't do any nonsense. Why? Because those are the things which has helped him to keep himself integrated. Let For the timing, let us consider there is no God, nothing, all those are nonsense. Let me consider. But can you, can you deny the fact that all those things has made him a better person? He doesn't go for all the baser things of life because the mind needs some engagement. So these things has given him an engagement to hold on. And that way, holding on to that, he doesn't disintegrate. So that's dharayati dharma with all the, in the religions, the do's and don'ts, the commandments. Those who fear God, they just try to bind their life with that. And that helps us to keep us integrated as an individual, as a society. So dharayati dharma, that is one definition. But the word dharma has another definition. Vishishyate iti dharma. The uniqueness of anything is its characteristic. To give a common example, what is the dharma of water to flow? Water will flow. That is its dharma, the characteristic. 
vishishyate means its unique characteristic that differentiates it from other things as a human being when you are leading a quite integrated life you don't think of the higher values as you are leading a integrated life you have what do you say the all the proper means of sustenance you are a well of man but know it for certain that a time will come when you have met with the basic necessities of life you can never avoid that what's the meaning of this life what's the purpose of this life these are the questions which are bound to come suddenly i am leading a quite happy life my near and dear one away near and dear one whom i thought to be the be all and end all of my existence i was myopic i never even thought what is going to happen tomorrow but suddenly for some reason he dies and you are bound to ask that question what after that it is count this death is there to make us introspective that all this after all for what all this pleasure is going to end tomorrow and with this question that's something which is unique to the human being we are bound to ask and from that comes that spiritual dimension to answer we are searching for that spiritual dimension of our existence which is no more now dharma is no more just the do's and don'ts it has made you introspective to think is there any dimension of life beyond this sunset world and you start inquiring you start searching for that so that is the vishishyata so you will find in this story the guru is the one who is speaking of the paramarthik satya the ultimate reality everything is brahman he is speaking of that so dharma has to so as per the vishishyata is concerned the real guru is speaking of that but i am yet to be established in that state so how i should proceed in my life for that mahut narayan is required he is speaking of the mahut narayan speaks of the dharma as dharayate iti dharma in that sense he speaks of the do's and don'ts the commandments the mahut speaks of the commandments the all the thing this in our scripture the truth has been defined as paramarthik satya and vyavaharik satya that ultimately everything is brahman but as long as i am within the domain of mind and senses i have to follow the laws which guides this phenomenal existence i simply cannot just ignore them as sri ramakrishna once told narendranath narendranath was not willing to accept the role of shakti in this phenomenal existence brahman alone is real everything else is maya that's the thing which uh, we, he was very impressed about ramakrishna then immediately told as long as you're in the domain of shakti you have to accept shakti and then he gave ramakrishna the master of examples very nicely told gives an example that even the even the chief justice if he has to give some witness he has to come down from his high seat and stand on the witness stand to give witness so you may be brahman but as long as you are in the domain of maya the do's and don'ts apply don't just simply say i uh, i have nothing to do with them so both so that's mahut narayan speaks of the vyavaharik satya and the guru here speaks of the paramarthik satya so guru instructs about the paramarthik satya which we have to attend by transcending our ego 
and mahut narayan speaks about the vyavaharika satya which has implications as long as we are bound by the ego and both has importance in our life as long as we have not transcended with all your effort i may be aspiring i may be having i, I have the tremendous capacity to what you say endeavor in my spiritual journey but can you do it in as a freestyle no this both the guru as to instruct you in the paramarthik satya has to be there along with that the one the mahut narayan as long as you are in the domain of ego you have to bound your life with the do's and don'ts so both are required to give a common example in a school hostel in school hostel i was there for so many years with the students in the school as well as in their hostel for years together for about 12 years and in ramakrishna mission schools everyone knows it's it's well known for its discipline it's very punctual from morning till night the students are totally uh, bound by some routine there is no way uh, to move out of the routine everything there is a ringing of the bell and with that everything even their entertainment their game and everything also is a part of that routine why we made that routine because the students we find generally doesn't have the inclination for studies so yes there are fixed hours of studies no matter what you have to be in the study room and there is a teacher there to supervise whether you are studying or not then again there are other things also why this routine has been met just because the student who doesn't want to study is that way disciplined so that he also studies but some students are there we know that all are not like that a few are there who have developed the love for study they are also following the routine the bell but that bell has no meaning for them they have transcended that even if the bell is not there they will study but those who have not developed that love for that the bell is important so those who have not developed that love that mahut narayan is important but those who have developed that love okay now he can go for the guru's instruction he has transcended that so in spiritual journey both are required so where comes the so called this uh, the idea of kripa here see uh, very interesting as a human being so many uniqueness is there that we through our language have done a wonderful thing thousands of years back someone through the spiritual journey have realized something that is all recorded we as a human being have access to that it comes down through generations parampara what is the, what is that uh, what is the speciality about it no other creature has that faculty suppose today a gorilla mistakenly falls in a sand pit you know the sinking sand it's the gorilla's son its grandson everyone has a chance to fall in the same sand pit and die for a human being if someone has fallen in the sand pit and somehow have saved himself next day there will be a display board don't come here there is a sand pit and we are all saved so you understand where is the kripa as a human being we are already blessed with these faculties where we can avail the experience of other and can make our journey short so that's there is a special uh, there is a very nice 
proverb in English, fools learn through experience, wise learn through precepts. So here the disciple did a foolish act because he never considered the precept of the mouth. And we find that what was the, what was the uh, situation he has fallen. He was about to die. He was saved again by the guru, but it, it was a disastrous situation. Why? That the precepts, he never learned from the precepts. So here comes the synthesis of Purushakar and Kripa. Endeavor is required, but that endeavor shouldn't be freestyle. In India, we find there are so many spiritual leaders. After a few years of what you say that uh, they're in, in the glory, suddenly we find they have made some scandal, fallen. There are so many news. And you will invariably you will find most of them doesn't have any tradition. Suddenly freestyle yogi has formed. And without the, the, without the tradition, spiritual life can be dangerous. You don't know the lurks, there's his, uh, all the uh, things which are hiding to lurk you to the danger. Anytime it may happen, because there's no tradition to save you. The tradition actually saves us by letting us know of all the nooks and corners lying hidden, which may lure us to the degradation. So your effort always should be aligned to both the Mahut Narayan as well as the Guru, means as to the Paramarthik Satya, that is always there in my mind. But that's the ultimate. Till I have transcended my ego, the Mahut Narayan do have a role to play in my spiritual journey. I have to listen to him also. So that's the way we can synthesize the idea of Purushakar and Kripa. It's the way we are thinking. Swamiji described it for three days. We don't know. That's not recorded. But as it's mentioned that he from this story described the wonderful synthesis of Purushakar and Kripa. So somehow we try to infer that what the line of thinking may be and that's what uh, just we are trying to relate. But the main thing is the stories are so simple, but there are layers of understanding. You can just meditate on this story. It can, there can be manana. And then you will find the wonderful meanings are coming out, which has something to do with our spiritual journey. The spiritual journey is not easy. We hear the only thing which supports you is the suggestions. Hold the subtle suggestions you have to hold and mold your life accordingly. So that's why this, uh, all these stories, parables have a great important role to play if the more and more deeply we think of it, just like a novel we read in a shallow way, it will help, but it won't help the way if we are just uh, contemplating, uh, doing manana, doing just contemplating over it and trying to find out its hidden meaning, to read between the lines. That is very important. So that's the story. And then let us proceed what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That you should have heeded to the words of the Lord. It is said in the scriptures that water is a form of God, but some water is fit to be used for worship, some water for washing the face, and some only for washing plates or dirty linen. In the olden days in the village, that was a practice. The pond water, you cannot drink it. 
you will be uh, this, uh, immediately get infected by cholera or some other. But okay, you can use for cleaning your utensils or cloths. As there was no taps and all in those days, that's how from the pond water they used to use. That's relatively it is safe, but don't drink. So that's what she said. There's some water, there's this holy and unholy, righteousness and unrighteousness. All these dualities are there in this world. The moment you come to this phenomenal existence, these all dualities has to be there. In, in like manner, God undoubtedly dwells in the heart of all, holy and unholy, righteous and unrighteous. But a man should not have dealings with the unholy, the wicked, the impure. He must not be intimate with them. With some of them, he may exchange words, but with others, he shouldn't go even that far. He should keep aloof from such people. So as we were mentioning, as long as we are within the domain of ego, holy, unholy, everything is within the domain of all this ego. Why? It has to do with our psychophysical existence. The moment you cross the duality, good, evil, nothing has any meaning for our existence. It's all related to the, 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 anything that is favorable to my this limited individuality are good. Anything which is not favorable is bad. So even holy, unholy, unholy thought is bad because it contaminates my mind. The mind, mind is not Brahman. That's why how it contaminates, it takes me, drags me down. It keeps me engaged only in the sense of existence. It makes me obsessed. So that's why it is unholy. What is holy? That takes me to some sublime thought. Sublime thoughts, why they are holy, why they are good? You don't suffer from them. Suppose you have developed the uh, passion for classical music. For hours together you can enjoy. There is no suffering. You forget hunger, thirst. You go into a flow. But all the so-called sensate pleasures, even if I am doing it with my own money, it has an end. I enjoy the delicacy, but after that, I cannot go on that with the parsit. I cannot go on eating it. I know that after two, three courses, I will be satiated. And then it ends. From the morning, you were planning, cooking, and it takes half an hour. Everything is over. So it cannot be the highest happiness. And those who transgress by uh, uh, without thinking others' welfare, they will find their place in jail. So suffering enters. That's why they are unholy. Here, no suffering enters. That's why they are holy. So everything has to do with this limited existence. When you go beyond that, even holy and holy is not there. It is something beyond all duality. So as long as we are bound with this ego in this limited existence, there are these dualities. And we have to be very careful not to be, what do you say, uh, associated with the unholy. Not with the sense they are bad. It is with the sense I get infected that I shouldn't move out without the mask, not that I hate the viruses, that virus are virus, there's no question of hating them. I get infected. So I should be safe, I should save myself. So here also with that idea, that I am, I am yet prone to be infected. I have not transcended the world of duality. I am still within the bound of ego. It is weaknesses in me. So if I associate with all those unholy things, it is I who suffer. I get contaminated by them. To keep myself safe, I am indifferent. So that's why this ideas has to be very clear. 
that otherwise what happens we find is the religious people who are supposed to be the most empathetic people are the most horrible haters. They have that holier than thou attitude. I am holy, you are unholy. And that speaks of that in the name of that uh, to go towards God is so difficult. At every step, the devil is waiting to infatuate you. The first step you stick and start feeling you're holy, others are unholy, you're gone. It is not God. The Satan has taken control over you. The devil has taken control over you or us, whoever it may be. So that's why these stories has to be written between the lines. Just see how nice after that Ramakrishna, now you just relate. It is Ramakrishna who is saying that what? That just the way the elephant doesn't, is indifferent about the barking animals. It's just proceeding. You have to be like an elephant. But Naren, the young Naren, and that enthusiastic Naren, what? Instead of thinking himself as an elephant who is not bothered about anything, his attention is towards the dogs who is barking. I think they are dogs who are barking at me. Instead of his reply should be that I, uh, that what, what, what do you think? That I am not bothered about them. Like an elephant, I know nothing is going to harm me. I have transcended all those dualities. I proceed in my way. But instead of that, they find that there is a type of vengeance working in that young man, enthusiastic young man. What? I think the dogs are barking at me. And then comes the story. So if you read between the lines, you find a wonderful meaning out of it. But not hatred. Be indifferent. Why indifferent? Because still the chance of infection is there. You are not yet vaccinated by the Brahmagyana. You are still prone to be infected. So be cautious. So that's the story. So with this, we end our discussion today. You'll find these stories, these parables appear to be so simple, but it has so many deep layers of understanding. We will continue with the, this. This is followed by another parable. We will come to that again in the next class. We will discuss it. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.